You are listening to the audio from Grace Bible Church. This audio message is a recording from our Sunday morning worship service. We hope you enjoy. Most of you haven't seen me in like a year in a pandemic ago, <laughs> and uh, a lot has happened, and I feel like the understatement of the year is to say that 2020 was quite the year. And as I'm sure many of you know, this past summer, Laura and I transitioned to a new CCO partnership uh, with a church down in Dallas, Pennsylvania, outside of Wilkes-Barre, uh, reaching out to college students in the Wilkes-Barre Back Mountain area. No, not Dallas, Texas. People have said, you're moving to Texas? And I'm like, that's way too warm for me down there. And so when I came to this area in 2010 to start Bible college, I had only been saved for a little over a year, and I had a long way to grow in my faith. And not, not only that, but actually to be prepared to be launched into full-time ministry seemed like a very daunting task. And if you know any of my story, you know that I come from a, a, a crazy place, and to see where God has brought me now, I give him all the glory. But coming into college was a really tough transition for me. The first semester of my freshman year was incredibly difficult, and I, I struggled with making friends, studying the Bible, learning ministry, along with trying to figure out what it meant to live for Christ instead of myself. And this whole Christian thing was all very new to me, and it was a lot to take in. It was a lot to take in. However, if it wasn't for Grace Bible Church, I honestly believe I would have dropped out of college, and I don't know where I would be today. And regardless of all of my struggles, trials, downfalls, mistakes, quirks, you welcomed me as a freshman and treated me as one of your own. You welcomed me into your homes, your families, and your lives. And you showed me such love and care while also pushing me to grow in my faith. Even when I often felt like a failure, you believed in me, didn't give up on me, and continued to provide opportunities for me. And you, you will never know how much this has meant to me. And it was during my freshman semester, my first year, my freshman year, that I truly began to see the gospel in action and see the beauty of the body of Christ. Because my whole life I felt like an outsider, but because of this church, I felt like I finally began to belong. And as I continued on in college, I was involved in a lot of different ministries here at the church, learning and growing everything from youth group to worship team to outreach, running a coffee shop, you name it, everything in between. And then in my senior year in college, I moved into Scranton, started uh, finished up my degree online, which allowed me then to do a one-year one full-time internship with the church. And the goal of that internship, my senior year, was to take over the Hub Student Lounge, but really to start a college ministry. And at that point, my senior year in college, I had no intention of doing college ministry full-time. It wasn't even on my radar I was going to school for working with high school students, but college ministry seemed very distant and different. But as a student, I wanted as much experience as possible, so I was excited 
to try it out for a year, to say, okay, I'm here to learn. That's the goal of being a student. So let's do this. And I remember saying to myself, you know, I'm always open to new things. I mean, I'm a student. I'm here to learn. What's the worst that could happen? Famous last words of a lot of people. Well, that year, the year I started doing college ministry as an internship with this church, that year drastically changed the course of my life. It was during that internship where I began to feel God to tug on my heart to pursue college ministry. And as of 2013, there were roughly 35,000 college students on campuses in this area with zero intentional college outreaches that I was aware of. And this stunned me. As I came towards the end of my internship, looking towards graduation, I felt the Holy Spirit whispering in my ear, if you don't do this, who will? And with so many students walking away from their faith and the church, who is going to do something about this? And that was the moment that I knew God was calling me to college ministry. So after I graduated college, I began full-time college ministry. And then fast forward a number of years, Laura and I got married in 2018, and we began asking God what he would have for us as a newly married couple, and if he would have us continue here in Scranton or call us to a new endeavor altogether. And after months of prayer, consideration, reflection, we felt and we knew that God was calling us to a new season of life and ministry together. So this past summer, we transitioned to a new CCO partnership. And again, for those of you who may not be familiar, uh, I work full-time with the CCO, Coalition for Christian Outreach, as a full-time missionary reaching out to college students. And so this summer, we transitioned to a new church partnership, and we were really excited about this opportunity and the ways it would expand college ministry here in Northeast Pennsylvania and better resource us to continue reaching students. And while it was incredibly hard to make that transition, and not just because of the pandemic, we knew that God was calling us to a new chapter. So we stepped out in faith. And to be honest, I still to this day lament on how our time together was cut short this past spring because of COVID. But praise be that we're still in Northeast Pennsylvania. We're not too far because we believe that God has called us to this area. We believe that. And I feel like I could write an entire book on how much this church means to me, what you've taught me, how you've supported me, how you continue to support me. I probably could have said a lot already this morning that I didn't. It was so hard. How do I summarize my time 10 years in a church? And I probably didn't do it justice. And I don't say lightly that I don't know where I would be today without you all. So from the bottom of my heart and what it's worth, thank you. And if you'd like to hear more about our ministry to students or how you can partner with us, feel free to reach out to us. Uh, we'd love to talk more about that and just kind of share our heart. And who would have thought that we would be making this job transition, this move, a new ministry, a new church? Who would have thought that we'd be doing all of that in a pandemic? It has, for us as a family, 2020 was a ride. 
it was just absolutely crazy from when it started, you know, with the pandemic and we knew we were going to be moving, um, you know, buying a house. Nope, nothing can prepare you for that. <laughs> Home projects to a new church, new ministry, all these things. It was probably over the craziest year of my life. But as I reflect on 2020, if it has taught us anything, nothing is guaranteed. Plans can change. And fear is real. According to a recent poll by the American Psychiatric Association, 62% of Americans feel more anxious and fearful than they did at this time last year. That's nearly twice as much. So what can we do? How do we fight fear and anxiety? Do we just live with it? What can be done? Can anything be done? And I'm not sure about you, but my guess is that most of you have felt fearful, anxious, stressed, overwhelmed these last few months, even this morning as you're sitting here or tuning in online. And so I say all that to lead us into the passage that we're going to be looking at this morning. So if you would, please turn to Mark chapter 4. We're going to be looking at verses 35 through 41. And if you want to grab one of the Bibles in front of you, it's on page 839. So Mark 4, 35 through 41. It's definitely uh, fun and different to be starting off the service with the, with the sermon. So, hey, you know what? We're, we're just here to grow and worship together, so let's just go with it. So as you turn to Mark 4, 35 through 41, let me just provide you a little bit of context as we dive into the passage this morning. So Jesus had just spent all day teaching to large crowds of people by the lakeshore. And these crowds were so large that Jesus actually sat inside of a boat along the shore so people could hear and see him. And at this time, it was now evening, and Jesus, as well as the disciples, began to make their way across the Sea of Galilee, where it's often referred to as a lake. So lake, sea, pretty interchangeable terms here this morning. But they were in for a lot more than a boat ride. And you might be familiar with this story. You're probably already looking at the headline or the, the, the title saying, Jesus calms the storm. And you probably are familiar with this, but my hope is that maybe you could look at it with fresh eyes this morning because you probably know that this story is powerful. But hopefully through our time together, you'll see that it's even more powerful than maybe you've realized. So if you would, let's read Mark 4. 35 through 41, I'll be reading in the ESV. On that day when evening had come, he said to them, let us go across to the other side. And leaving the crowd, they took him with them in the boat, just as he was. And other boats were with him, and a great windstorm arose, and the waves were breaking into the boat, so that the boat was already filling. But he was in the stern, asleep on the cushion. And they woke him and said to him, teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? And he awoke and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, Peace be still. And the wind ceased and there was a great calm. And he said to them, Why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? And they were filled with great fear and said to one another, 
Who then is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? All right. So a lot happens in these verses. These are like, what, six, seven verses, but a whole lot of things happen. So let's try to work through this here this morning. So verse 35 starts off by saying this, On that day when evening had come, he said to them, Let us go across to the other side. And you may not realize it, but this verse right here is one of, if not the most important verses in this passage. Why? Because of the phrase that you see here, let us go across to the other side. You might have a little bit different wording in your text, but let us go across to the other side. And if you've read this passage before, this might be one of those verses that you read in your devos and you go, wow, that's really nice. Let's keep going. Let's get to the action, right? But this verse is crucial, and it's because of that phrase, let us go across. And that phrase in the original Greek means to go through, to pass through, to journey through. This phrase gives the connotation that their intended destination, which is the other side of the sea, will be a stop on their journey. Nothing about this phrase and its original tone gives any indication of uncertainty. There's no, well, I hope we get across, or you know what, let's see what happens, fingers crossed. There's none of that. Jesus is saying, we're going. Let's go across to the other side. And I'm sure many of you right now are probably tracking packages, still waiting for Christmas gifts to come in. And you're probably just waiting in anticipation for that next tracking update. You know, when you go to check on the tracking number, it just says, like, missing in space, you know, wherever it is right now. It's just gone with the wind. But it's as if you have received the next tracking update even before it's come up. It's as if Jesus has already given them the next update before it even left the current location. That is the connotation here is that we're going. Let us go to the other side. And here's why this is such a big deal. Jesus made a promise to the disciples that they would cross to the other side even before they left. Jesus essentially is saying, let's go to the other side. There was no hesitation. Crossing the lake was a means to an end, and the other side was He didn't say, all right, disciples, let me lead you to your imminent death. Or, you know what, let's go and see what happens. Jesus doesn't say, YOLO, let's let's go. What could could go wrong? He's saying, let's go to the other side. And so much could be said here, even in this phrase. But with that said, let this provide the framework as we continue on through this passage. Before anything happens, Jesus says, we're going to the other side of the sea. And so with that, let's continue on. Verse 36. And leaving the crowd, they took him with them in the boat, just as he was, and other boats were with him. And so what observations do we see here in this verse? Well, Jesus left the crowds behind. After a day of Zoom meetings, Jesus was done 
There were other boats that followed him as well. And it's probably safe to assume that the weather was beautiful in the evening before they left. And again, it doesn't say specifically anything about the weather. But my guess is that if the weather wasn't looking very good or there was a big storm that they could see, that I'm sure one of the disciples would have said, are you sure we want to go, right? So it's just, it's just our assumption that, you know what, the weather was probably nice, it was probably calm, because if there was a big storm right in front of them, I don't think they would have been so quick to get in that boat. So assumingly, they left the shore with nice weather, calm waves, and were probably ready to rest after a long day of learning. Maybe this is the first sign of Zoom fatigue, we don't know. They were ready to call it a day. And they were in for a surprise. Here's where things get really interesting. So verse 37. And a great windstorm arose, and the waves were breaking into the boat, so that the boat was already filling. So a storm pops up with high winds, and waves began to fill the boat with water. So imagine this scene here. When they left the shore, assumingly a nice, calm, beautiful evening, to probably less than an hour or so later, this is where they found themselves, in a boat filling with water in the middle of the sea with high winds and death seemingly knocking at their door. And keep in mind, too, many of the disciples were lifelong fishermen. They were not strangers to rough waters. They lived and breathed fishing and sailing and being on the water. So we could probably also make make the case that if they were reacting to the storm in this way, it was probably a doozy. And I just have this, this image, this scene in my mind as if it's in a movie. You know, the clouds are rolling. The, the sky is gray. The rain is coming down. You know, the winds are whipping. The water's crashing in the boat. They're probably running around with buckets trying to get the water out, right? You've probably seen a lot of movies like this, you know. Just imagine this scene, you know, they're all screaming, yelling, facing who knows what, and they're preparing for the worst. This is the scene that we have here. And so, where was Jesus? Where was Jesus? Well, Verse 38, he was in the stern, asleep on the cushion, and they woke him and said, teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? So hold on. (laughs) It just makes me laugh. Where was Jesus in the midst of this storm that has lifelong fishermen fighting for their lives? Sleeping in the back of the boat. And And I love how Mark writes in here that he had his head on a cushion. Or a pillow. Not that he was sleeping. He was back there with a pillow. Just snoozing. Taking a nap. I mean, maybe it was a deep REM cycle. I mean, we don't know. But I just find it funny that he mentions specifically a pillow. And so why in the world was Jesus sleeping? Why was he sleeping? Well, he was probably very tired after a long day of teaching. Remember, Jesus is human too. He was tired. You know, he must not have been too worried because if he was asleep, he must have had everything under control because nothing Jesus did was by accident. And you know, side note, when I read this, I also take that we see clearly in Scripture that Jesus took naps. 
So if you want to be like Jesus today, maybe take a nap every once in a while, right? That's, that's going to come back to haunt me from some families I know. But you know what? If you want to, you know, pursue Christ and be just conformed to the image of his son, take a little cat nap this afternoon. Hopefully there's no storms going on, but just take a nap. So while Jesus was sleeping, what did the disciples say to wake him up? Well, my translation, don't you care that we are going to drown? We are going to die. Save us. They are pleading for Jesus to save them. And now keep in mind, Jesus already told them that they were going to the other side. And maybe the disciples believed him at first, but that belief is long gone. So verse 39. And he awoke and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, Peace be still. And the wind ceased and there was a great calm. Jesus rebuked the wind, calmed the storm. And he got up using merely his words, and the storm ceased. And I think it's important that the word rebuke here means to forbid, to charge, reprimand, scold, to be muzzled. I love that phrase, to be muzzled. And so what does Jesus say when he says, peace be still? Well, peace here means to be silent. And to be still means to muzzle, to be kept in check, to reduce to silence. Peace be still. Jesus essentially said, be quiet, storm. I've had enough. You're done. Jesus had the ultimate mute button on the storm. He clicked mute. That storm was done. And I love that he didn't just quiet the storm He didn't just stop the wind or the waves. He put a muzzle on the storm and reduced it to nothing with just a few words, rendering it useless. Just let that sink in. Sorry, no pun intended. He didn't calm the storm. Jesus silenced the storm. I think there's a big difference. He didn't just calm the storm. He said, you know what, storm? You're done. He put a muzzle on what was threatening the lives of the disciples. He didn't calm the storm. He silenced the storm. So imagine you have this big, epic scene where the disciples are facing death. They're getting water out of the boat. They're running around. Death is facing them. They wake Jesus up. He gets up, and he calms the storm. Like, that's a lot to process. In two verses. Like, imagine just putting yourself in that boat with the disciples, how all of this is unfolding right now. They're getting ready to face death. And all of a sudden, Jesus wakes up, says three words, storm's done. Like, reduced to nothing. So Jesus, he wakes up, peace be still, done. And then, he turns to the disciples. Right? What is he going to say? Well, He says to them, why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? So why did Jesus respond with this phrase? Well, one, they didn't believe his word when he promised them a safe arrival. Second, it had not dawned on them who Jesus really was and what 
he was capable of. It still was not sinking in their brains who Jesus was and what he can do, what he's here to do. And third, they accused Jesus of not caring. Imagine what Jesus felt in those moments. How dare you accuse me of not caring about you? Do you not know who I am, what I'm here to do? And it wasn't the storm that ultimately disturbed Jesus. It was the unbelief of his disciples. That's what he was responding to. Jesus never said, seriously, storm, I'm trying to sleep. You're kind of an inconvenience. You're getting my sandals wet. He didn't say any of that. The unbelief is what got him going. But keep in mind, it was not their fear of the storm that made Jesus say they had no faith. A small boat in a big storm is a scary place. And I would have been in the same situation running around for my life. And I don't really know how to swim that well, so I probably would have been long gone at this point. Who knows? And their initial fear in and of itself isn't necessarily wrong. But what the disciples chose to do with that fear and where it ultimately led them was what made the difference. Because that fear led them to the belief that Jesus would not hold up to what he promised. They didn't believe Jesus and his word. And that fear caused them to doubt what Jesus said. And their trust wavered. So what was their response? Well, verse 41 again. And they were filled with great fear and said to one another, Who then is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? Their response is they were terrified. And the reality is the muzzling of the sea should have filled them with peace. But instead they were just as afraid, if not more, when Jesus silenced the storm as when they were in the midst of it. They were just as afraid after Jesus calmed the storm as when they were in the midst of it. That is some real fear. And what do they say to one another? Who then is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? Because in a few moments, they saw the full scope of Jesus, the fullness of his deity, truly man, truly God. And Jesus called them out on being more afraid of the storm than of him because they gave the storm more power and authority in their life than Jesus. And this is essentially the root of fear. And that's why we often feel crippled by fear, because to fear means to give power and authority over, to hand over the reins, to hand the keys over, to let loose something that was once chained up. And when you fear something, someone, some situation, you're essentially giving it them more power than you. And that fear is actually the one muzzling now, don't get me wrong, it's human nature to experience fear. But it's what we do with that fear and where it leads us that matters. And this is something that I wrestled with a lot this past year because I felt fearful and anxious and stressed. But what do I do with this? And it drove me to the Word of God, especially this past. And in light of what we've read here, which feels like it was just a flyover because there's so much in here, but it really got me thinking, if God has this kind of authority over the wind and the sea and the storms, 
What does this say about his authority over our problems, trials, anxieties? What does this say about his authority over the issues you are currently battling? The fears that you have in your life right now. Fears of uncertainty. Fears surrounding this pandemic. Maybe fears surrounding your job, money, health. The fear of you name it. Because my guess is we're all battling something right here today. Maybe you're here today, you're listening online, and you're deeply grieving where you're at in your life right now. Maybe just a few days, weeks, months, a pandemic ago, you were getting into a boat, sailing on calm waters at sunset towards your next destination, having your eyes set on lofty goals. Now, all of a sudden, you're in the middle of this raging storm that came out of nowhere And it seems as if Jesus has forgotten you, that he doesn't care. Maybe it seems as if Jesus is asleep and seems ignorant of your tears, your pain, and your pleas for help. And maybe you're left feeling as if he doesn't care and your prayers feel more empty and more empty, as if what's the point of praying anymore? Maybe you're here and we're doing this 21 days of prayer, and maybe you're honestly saying to yourself, why why should I do this? Because Jesus has not been answering my prayers lately. Where has he been? Why should I even pray? Does he care? Does he exist? Where is he? Well, the beauty of all of this, there is hope. Because let's not forget one of the most important verses as well in relation to this. If you're still in Mark 4, look at verse 1 of chapter 5. It should be right there. What does it start off by saying? They came to the other side of the sea. They arrived just as Jesus promised they would. Because the storm didn't cause Jesus to forget. It didn't delay his promise. It wasn't an unexpected wrinkle in the plan. Because Jesus was always going to keep his promise. And what does that mean for us? Jesus has not forgotten his promises to us. He's aware of where you're at, what you're dealing with, what you're battling. And now, it's easy to walk away from this passage and say, you know what? Jesus is going to calm all of my storms. Everything is going to work out. Now that I place my faith in Jesus, everything is going to be okay. Now I'm on cruise control. Akuna Matata. You know what? That's not true. God doesn't promise any of that. Jesus doesn't promise that. The Bible doesn't promise that. Because when we truly believe and trust in God's promises, we can lay our head down on the pillow, on the boat, in the middle of a raging storm, because that's the power of faith. And so please hear me when I say this. It's highly likely that whether you're here today or you're listening online, that you are dealing with fear Doubt, struggle, uncertainty. Maybe you've recently cried or mourned what you may have lost or where you're at. Well, this is what makes us human. Because to be human is to have struggle. To be human is to have struggle. And God is very aware of your fear, but he wants us to trust him. Because he doesn't rebuke the disciples for being afraid or having fear or struggling or anxious. He rebukes the fact that they did not trust in him while in the storm. 
He didn't yell at them for being human. He yelled at them. I say yelled at them loosely. He rebuked them for not trusting in what he said. Why? 2 Timothy 1.7, For God gave us a spirit not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. Because to be human is to face fear, but to abide in Christ fully is to not live in a constant state of fear. And again, as we kind of summarize here, the main focus of this passage is not so much about Jesus calming the storm, which we can often talk about, but it's more so about Jesus keeping his word, which he always does. And so what I want to leave you with here today is this. We fight fear with foundational faith, which is built on God's promises. When we say have faith, man, we run to the promises of God. We rest on the truth of what God has said and revealed to us in his word. We rest on the truth of the gospel because when God gives us a promise, he's going to keep it. And that's what gives us the ability to rest. And maybe you're here today and you've never placed your faith in Jesus and you've experienced the freedom in Christ. Well, I pray that you would come talk to myself, one of the pastors, somebody at the welcome desk in the back. Or if you're listening, send us a message because we would love to connect with you to help you find true peace, which comes from Christ. And maybe you're here today, and you have placed your faith in Jesus. Well, remember that we fight fear with foundational faith, which is built on God's promises. So let's start this year building a foundation on the promises of God. Because even though we're in a new year, we still serve the same God, same promises. So even though everything's changing, when it comes to the word of God and what he said, nothing's changed. So let's continue to have faith, which is rooted in the promises of God. And I'm going to pray to close here, and I'm going to invite whoever is going to take us from here. <laughs> so would you pray with me? Jesus, thank you so much that you always hold up your end of the bargain because to me when I think of grace I think of the fact that we seem to always fail and make mistakes and we, we say we want to do what we want to do and we want to follow you and we often are left empty because we're not perfect we do struggle but Lord thank you that you are constant and you are always there for us and you always hold up to your end of the deal I thank you that we can trust in you, that we can look to you. And I pray, Lord, that those who are here today who are deeply struggling with fear, anxiety, and stress, there's so much to be said about it, and it feels like we're not even scratching the surface. But, Lord, I pray that we would just walk through these doors with a reminder that fear is a battle, but we fight it with foundational faith, which is rooted in God's promises. And that's where we find peace. Not in ourselves, not in what we can do and what we can accomplish. But Lord, we rest because you are sovereign and in control. And what you did on the cross, it is finished. And that is what allows us to have peace and to rest in the midst of storms. And God, we thank you for who you are. And we ask this 
In your name we pray, Lord Jesus. Amen. Thank you for listening to this podcast from Grace Bible Church. For more information about our church and our ministries, you can visit gracebiblepa.com.